When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I think about World of Warcraft, I think of raiding. Previously released MMOs such as Ashran's Call and EverQuest featured dungeons, but all paled in comparison to the massive, sprawling adventures that became a staple and trademark in the early days of World of Warcraft. Part lore delivery system and D&D one-shot, raids were often the culmination of long-building quest chains and stories meant as bookends for the closing of an expansion. Raids hold this kind of mystical, almost ethereal aura for me, and my nostalgia for Warcraft. I remember leveling my priest in Dustwallow Marsh back in vanilla, on a 32k dial-up modem no less, and stumbling across this massive dragon head-shaped cavern way back in the zone, surrounded by elite red dragon enemies that I had no business even looking at, let alone fighting. So of course, I tried. It failed. This cave that surrounded a swirling portal was a complete mystery to me, and all I knew was that I wanted in. Cue the Eric Conjure jokes. This week is the first in a series of shorter episodes where we will deep dive into the lore, development history, and tactics of every World of Warcraft raid in, mostly, chronological order. Raid lore is my favorite aspect of playing WoW, and I'm happy to present this first episode as we delve into the depths of the Lair of Anixia, broodmother of the Black Dragonflight, progeny of Deathwing, and possibly the being responsible for kicking into motion every bit of political turmoil that Stormwind and the Alliance have faced since the early days of WoW. So, take a deep breath, prepare to handle many whelps, Save your DKP and take a walk into the depths of Anixia's lair. This is Essence of Azeroth. In the beginning, there were only two raids. It's strange to think about now, given how much of the focus in current World of Warcraft is about getting players geared up enough to jump into raids almost immediately. Even as we speak, a week or so away from the Shadowlands expansion, the meta-narrative in WoW circles is about how to gear up and attack Revendreth, the first raid coming in December. Blizzard had a bit more time to work with in the beginning of Vanilla WoW, given that not only did enough players even need to hit level 60 first, but there were already a number of 10-man dungeons, max level quests, reputation grinds, etc, etc, and they weren't really worried about getting raiding right out of the gate, for the most part. Still, the team had to work fast as the game pressed on from a rocky start and grew in popularity. The first two raids planned were Molten Core and Anixia's Lair. While both were 40-man raids initially, there was a big difference between the two. 
Anixia's was a long-term lore payoff meant as a centerpiece of post-game content and requiring one of the lengthiest attunement quest lines seen in an MMO, at least until Karazhan came around. All while a team of 40 adventurers all outfitted in fire-resist gear and working in sync for a three-phase boss fight that was beyond anything that players had seen in the game to that point. Meanwhile, Molten Core was literally designed in a week by a team of five, including Jeff Kaplan. The team was tasked with throwing something together in the shortest amount of time possible, and Molten Core is kind of what happened, and you can see it if you've been in the dungeon. It's incredibly simple, there's no gimmicks, it's just pull after pull after pull. This is also why Molten Core to this day is the only raid that was beta tested solely by the development team and not on a PTR. And why they don't do that anymore, because as it turns out, the WoW devs weren't particularly good at their own game, and failed to even clear their creation in its launch state. Whoopsie. That's also why we're talking about Anixia today, and not Molten Core. There just isn't a lot to talk about there. It was a hastily thrown together raid that was buggy as all heck, requiring multiple patch adjustments and nerfs before players could even get to Ragnaros, let alone down the Fire Lord. You can't even really find the remnants of Molten Core in the game anymore. The one reputation grind and quest chain tied to Molten Core, involving the long-removed Hydraxian Waterlords, isn't even available even though you can still grind the rep. However, fear not, as we'll be talking about Ragnaros and the Elemental Plains and the Dark Iron Dwarves somewhere down the line. In the meantime, we need to talk about the Black Dragonflight, the Prestor family, and the great political ruse that almost brought down a nation. And, as promised, no Spongebob joke this week. Just a quick and dirty rundown for those wondering why Anixia featured so prominently. Fun fact, by the way. The dragon on the Anixia's layer load screen isn't even her, but it's an image of Isera of the Green Dragonflight found in the pages of a Warcraft RPG lore book. But, you know, details, right? talk about Anixia, we must first talk about her place in the Black Dragonflight, one of the five aspect-linked dragon lineages dating back to the pre-sundering era of Azeroth, first coming to power with the defeat of the great proto-dragon Galakrond. You know, that dragon that you see the bones of all over Dragonblight and Northrend. His reign of terror ending when five immensely powerful proto-dragons teamed up for a common cause. Red, blue, green, bronze, and black. As a reward from the Keepers of Azeroth, these dragons were granted amazing powers and kind of an evolutionary upgrade, becoming the leaders of their respective dragon families and creating a new species altogether. With this power upgrade potentially came the Keeper's own downfall, as the Black Dragonflight's patriarch, Neltharion, was the aspect of all things Earth, and thus susceptible to the maddening call of Yogg-Saron, one of the old gods imprisoned underneath the soil of Azeroth by the Keepers, meaning that all black dragons held the potential weakness of the old gods' whispers. So, Neltharion turned on the other dragonflights, as one does. 
using the power of the dragon soul to turn against his allies, becoming Deathwing, and vanishing into the underground of Kazan to bide his time. Meanwhile, the already chaotic neutral black dragonflight found themselves with an ever-growing case of the evils, with Deathwing's eldest son, Nefarian, joining forces with the Dark Horde and taking hold over Blackrock Spire. At the same time, Enixia, eldest daughter and prime broodmother for the flight, was tasked with disrupting the alliance. Or maybe she just liked to mess around in the politics of moral races. Honestly, it's kind of fun. And she seems like kind of a jerk, so... Much as her brother loved to do, Anixia took the form of Lady Prestor, a loyal advisor to the Stormwind Crown, and, as players first see her in Vanilla WoW, the one in the ear of the boy king, Anduin Wynn. Fun fact, hunters could see through the ruse immediately by turning on their draconic tracking ability. A great bit of foreshadowing, but also a little bit confusing if you're a new player wandering around Stormwind Castle and suddenly you see a dragon. Prestor's dark work behind the scenes stretched far, which include deals with the Defias Brotherhood, the Dark Orcs, riling up the Dark Iron Dwarves, the revolts in Westfall, the problems plaguing Theramor, and, and more. Honestly, you can trace almost every bad thing happening to the Alliance in Vanilla WoW to Anixia, which is yet another example of Horde getting the lore and story shaft in World of Warcraft. Sure, Anixia's lair was available to both factions, but where the Alliance get a sprawling adventure in order to attune to the dungeon, Horde players are basically told, Uh, hey, there's a dragon in that cave. We should probably figure out how to go kill it so the Alliance doesn't kill it first. You know, as Vanilla WoW was wont to do. And so, Anixia's lair sits in the eastern end of Dustwallow Marsh, a hop, skip, and jump away from Tanneris, Theramor, and the Crossroads. In other words, a lot of low-level players probably wandered too close to the Broodmother's lair and paid the price. Like, um, me. <laughs> However, all players were greet greeted by a bunch of dr elite dragonkin enemies and a Cave of Wonders-esque entrance blocked by a spell. So, what do? It's called Attunement, kids! Don't know what that means? Be glad for that, but let Pappy Harrison fill you in. Back in the day, raids usually had some kind of requirement before hopping in and getting your butts kicked. This was because gear scores weren't quite a thing yet, and wouldn't be in earnest until the end of the Burning Crusade, so Blizzard needed a way to somewhat ensure that players were prepared for the challenges ahead. Of the vanilla WoW raids, only one didn't have an attunement requirement in Zolgrub. The rest either were locked behind a reputation grind, a long quest chain, or requiring a series of items in order to make it easier to get into the dungeon itself, much like in the case of Molten Core and Blackwing Lair. While the Nax Ramus Attunement is no treat, it requires Honored with the Argent Dawn, a flat amount of gold currency, 60 gold if you're keeping track, and a bunch of items from other dungeons, it pales in comparison to the busy work and drudgery required to get into a Nixie's Lair. And if you're Alliance, then you had an even more difficult time. However, the Anixia Attunement is also one of the things that built the mystique of World of Warcraft, a series of quests venturing across multiple continents, dungeons, and letting players interact with major lore characters. The Alignment's Attunement is a 12-quest chain revolving around the information that Lady Prestor of the Stormwind Court may not be who she seems, or what she seems. 
leading players through multiple trips to Blackrock Depths and bringing former Alliance hero Marshall Reginald Windsor back to Stormwind to confront Prestor, who changes into her Nixia dragon form in the middle of Stormwind Castle, kills Windsor with some fire, spawns a bunch of elite draconic drake uh, guardians, and then after you clear all of that out, You've finally broken the brainwashing on one formerly brainwashed Bolvar 4 dragon while also breaking the amulet you needed to get into the lair itself. Oops. Fixing the amulet requires a trip to the Divas Cave in Winterspring, a max level area at the time adjacent to Hygel and formerly the bane of every player's existence thanks to its elite max level mobs. Finally, players get the blood of a boss from Blackrock Spire and have the item needed to not only get in the door, but also survive the tidal wave of fire damage awaiting the raid. The Horde version lacks the lore intrigue of its alliance counterpart, minus the fact that you do get to disguise yourself as a black dragonflight member and kill dragons from the other flights in order to convince an Anixia underling that you're cool and down the party. After that point, it's the same as the alliance. Go to Blackrock, kill a dragon, and once your team of 40 players has their gear ready to go, it's time to venture down into the depths. You dare challenge the daughter of Deathwing? You shall pay for your insolence! Anixia's Lair is the smallest raid in World of Warcraft. Maybe even to this day. It's a small handful of trash mobs in a lava-drenched cavern, which honestly looks about the same as the environmental model used for Ragefire Chasm, which isn't a surprise because they reused a lot of assets back in the day. At the end is a massive arena surrounded by eggs and the mighty Anixia standing at the back. What awaits is a lengthy, detailed battle that requires equal parts coordination, proper gear, the correct combination of player classes, and plenty of luck if you're just starting out. Anixia is also the first major dragon that players ever contend with in the game, meaning there's a whole new level of mechanics to learn and get used to. In case you've never squared off against a dragon raid boss, it's simple. Unless you're a tank, don't stand behind or in front. Players standing in front are prone to being cleaved in a single hit, while standing behind means you might get knocked back by her tail and into those aforementioned eggs, something you do not want. Famously memed in a video back in the day by a raid attempting to combat Anixia while their dismayed raid leader shouts in anguish, if you've ever wondered where such memes like more dots and many whelps handle them and 50 DKP minus comes from, this would be the source. And in case you didn't know, DKP also means dragon kill points because back in the day, raids determined who got the loot from a boss by a system of points that was based around attendance and number of bosses downed. Raiders would accrue points for every boss that they killed in raid attendance, and since Anixia was kind of the only raid boss for a lot of raids at the time, they were given points for dragon gills. As someone who used to raid in systems like these, let me tell you, um, it sucked especially when a guild officer would decide to shirk the system and give loot to one of his buddies, despite the fact that you had the points for a particular drop, and then you leave the guild as a moral stance. Not that anything like that ever happened to me. 
all of that is to say that the last thing you want is a dumb dumb rogue or mage in your party to walk forward into a bunch of eggs, spawn a floodgate of whelps, and kill the party prematurely. Which happened a lot because another quirk of this dragon fight is that Anixia couldn't be taunted. Typically, a tank keeps aggro, the somewhat invisible meter each enemy has that tells them what player to attack, based on who is the biggest threat, by using taunting abilities. In the case of Anixia, these were useless, which meant not only did the tank have to be given enough time by their damage-dealing players to get a firm grasp on Anixia's aggro, but DPS also had to be particularly careful not to accidentally get too much threat of their own and turn the dragon around on the party. Because once Anixia turns around to swipe at a rogue for doing too much damage, suddenly players who were not in danger based on their position are very much in deep dragon doo-doo. You can see why this fight was so complicated. One wrong move or bad position and you could lose everyone. And this was only the first phase. The, the real difficulty occurs in the second phase, when Anixia takes to the air, can no longer be hit by melee attacks, and starts breathing giant swashes of fire around the arena that linger. So not only must players dodge the fire as it comes, but also must reposition as to not linger, while also not getting anywhere near the eggs. Fun fact, Anixia isn't actually breathing the fire. The fire hitbox spawns from the arena floor, which is why there's a slash yell emote that you see in the raid chat saying that Anixia is taking a deep breath. The more you know. Finally, Anixia lands for her third phase, which is similar to phase one but with a new devastating trick, an area of effect fear. Anixia would let out a mighty roar, sending players running in any direction, unable to control their hero. There are ways around this fear effect, mostly in the form of trinkets that allow you to break the fear instantly in exchange for a lengthy cooldown. Another option was a priest dispelling the spell. However, what this actually and usually meant is that a bunch of players would get feared into, yes, you guessed it right once again, the eggs. Many whelps handle them. Anixia was a challenging fight because it wasn't just a DPS race. In fact, just running in and doing as much damage as quickly as possible was the worst possible idea. It also required tanks who could not only keep control of Anixia, but also babysit their own players, which, let's be honest, that is a majority of raiding, um, and I say that lovingly and as a main raid tank f across four expansions. It's raids like this that led to the stereotypes stereotype that tanks are, essentially, the leaders of the raid. After all, they were always the one forced to stand in front of the dragon, while you've got a priest trying to DPS, an AFK rogue, and four mages using fire attacks on a fire-immune boss. Did I mention that Anixia was immune to fire spells? Sorry mages, it's tough out there on these streets, and that's just the way Vanilla WoW rolled. Players that managed to survive all of this were granted with a robust loot table, at least robust for the time, as well as a chance for skinners to get the scales of Anixia, a crafting item needed for yet another absolutely required item for a raid down the line. If you had any hope of beating Nefarian later, then you needed the Anixia Scale Cloak, the only item that would make players immune to Nefarian's Shadow Flame attack. And yes, the irony is not lost that you need to beat another dragon while outfitting 40 players in the scales of said dragon's dead sister. 
<laughs> Onyxia was also the source of the Tier 2 raid set, which was the class-specific armor that everyone wanted their hands on. This included the headpiece of the Paladin Judgment Gear, which is now just the most iconic piece of Pali gear possible, and the Shaman's Helm of Ten Storms, which is... uh... not so iconic. You win some, you lose some. Indixie's raid wasn't without some controversy, mainly in the form of some absolute heartbreaking bugs that Blizzard took a look at and said it was working as intended. This included a bug in Phase 3 where she would heal back 40% of her health over 10 seconds because she'd occasionally forget to target a player, thus making the AI think that nobody was in the raid and that she could reset the fight. Historically, a WoW GM at the time told a raiding guild that this bug is not being considered for correction at this time. Anixia would return a few years later during Wrath of the Lich King as part of a five-year anniversary celebration. The raid was kept the same mechanically, except now coming in 10-man and 25-man versions, along with a level 80 loot table that looked like the old tier 2 armor sets, which was a nice throwback. And bags. Everyone loves bags. Gone was the attunement, and this raid was often the one players used to get geared up for Nax Ramus in Wrath of the Lich King, another vanilla raid brought into the then-modern times that we will be covering on this channel eventually, and I'm looking forward to it because I love Nax Ramus. As a personal anecdote, Anixia was the first boss I ever main tanked by myself. My frost spec death knight panicking as I dealt with the DPS stealing aggro off of me and killing five people. Heavy hangs the crown of the raid leader. I eventually got the hang of it, and honestly, Anixia's lair remains a favorite of mine. Both for its lore implications, but just the fact that it's as classically high fantasy as you get. A bunch of adventurers running into the lair of a dragon and collecting its head. Isn't that what it's all about? Thanks for joining me yet again for another episode of Essence of Azeroth. If you liked what you heard, do us a solid and subscribe wherever you listen. Review us on Apple Podcasts, and maybe even consider becoming a patron of the podcast over on our Anchor.fm page at anchor.fm forward slash Azeroth podcast. The podcast is a labor of love, but any and all support would go a long way towards helping me make the podcast better, as well as the creation of more content like this. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at Azeroth Podcast, all one word. Have a suggestion? Have a comment? Did I mess something up? I might have. Leave it there, or via voice message on our Anchor page. And after all of that, prepare to join us next time as we take a request from a friend of the show and my best friend, Andrew Fraser, taking a look at the history of the Druid class, its origins, how it helped combat the Legion, and what it can expect in the Shadowlands. Also, bear druids are tanks too, guys. Remember that. Thanks again. Until next time on Essence of Azeroth. You dare challenge the daughter of Deathwing? You shall pay for your insolence! <laughs> Ooh!